Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good evening. Tonight is the best of Nation Talk. This is a pre-recorded program that was recorded last July. George program. How can a person be protected from scams? With a word of caution for today's ministry leader, here's attorney David Gibbs Jr. Christian Law Association. A pastor called the Christian Law Association wondering if a church representative should attend a seminar to learn about compliance with the new health care regulations. There are many so-called experts who will attempt to sell information or a system promising to bring churches into compliance with regulations. Unfortunately, the experts nor their products always deliver what they promise. If a speaker at a seminar claims to be a licensed CPA or an attorney in a particular state, you can easily check his credentials with the state or the national associations he belongs to in order to protect against any possible scams. All Christian Law Association attorneys are fully licensed professionals. We never charge a fee. We are a ministry defending religious freedom. Get your legal questions answered online at christianlaw.org. You'll find a complete library of information addressing common issues churches and ministries are facing today. Our website again, christianlaw.org. That's christianlaw.org. You're listening to the JMW Network. This is Minister Kenneth Jenkins. we got two good subjects tonight, religious rights and gun rights. Stay tuned. The views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily the views of Talk Show, January Productors, and its sponsors. This is your Sunday evening forum, Nation Talk. Nation Talk is a live public affairs program that deals with issues concerning you from the studios of Savannah, Georgia.
get into the conversation. Call one seven two four 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 thirty four forty four. Call your number five 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 one nine pound. That's one seven two four 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 thirty four forty four. Call your number five 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 one nine pound.
categorized by their strong support for socially conservative policies. Christian conservatives principally seek to apply their understanding of the teachings of Christianity to politics and public policy by proclaiming the value of those teachings by seeking to use those teachings. practically 
basically overnight as a rapid response to the Supreme Court's landmark ruling in Roe versus Wade. Or at least that's how the fake story goes. The reality, according to a guy named Randall Balmer, who's a Dartmouth professor, um, and he wrote this originally in Political Magazine, he says the religious right, who like to call themselves the moral majority at the time, actually organized around, quote, fighting to protect Christian schools from being desegregated. Hmm? Whoa, dude. Whoa. I didn't know that. I always knew that, you know, it was the conservatives in the United States that were against giving women equal rights, giving black people equal rights, and they were kind of fighting progress tooth and nail all along. But I didn't know that it was the religious right-wingers specifically that were like, no, we cannot desegregate these schools. That would be madness. That would be anarchy. Black people are inferior to us. Keep them away. So it wasn't Roe versus Wade that, quote, woke up the sleeping dragon of the evangelical vote. It was Green versus Kennedy, a 1970 decision stripping tax-exempt status from segregation academies, which is private Christian schools that were set up in response to Brown versus Board of Education, where the practice of borrowing black students continued. The entire movement originated from racism. Mind officially blown. We already didn't like these guys, but now we have a reason to dislike them even more. So the next time you hear one of these guys talking about how they're so much more moral than you, and they know what's right, and they know what's wrong, and they follow Jesus, bring up to them the fact that the root of their entire political movement, all these anti-abortion protesters, all the people who listen to Pat Robertson and John Hagee, and, you know, now Matthew Hagee, his son, and Rod Parsley is another one of these guys. Rick Santorum is, was big in this movement, and still is to a large degree. Mike Huckabee, same thing. The root of their entire political movement, racism. Theory of the end. It's uncomfortable, it's blunt, it's rigid, but it's straightforward and it's true. Okay? The whole movement was about we cannot desegregate. And then they also uh, go on to give details in the article about how there was a savvy politician who came along that realized that, hey, can't really play the long game on just hatred. Can't really play the long game on just racism and being against desegregation. So what, what should we do here? they incorporated uh, abortion, and then that became their big thing later on. But originally, the root, all racism.
Under a Religious Freedom Restoration Act, she wouldn't be asked 
participate in the judicial process to violate her sincerely held religious beliefs by removing a head covering that is an essential part of her sincerely held religious beliefs. So it is a real problem. It is occurring in this state, and that's why I'm bringing the bill forward. So head scars are more of a concern for you in drafting this bill than insulating people of conscience from having to deal with gay marriage. That's what you're saying. What I'm saying is that this bill is designed to protect people of faith all over the state from all walks of life, and it has absolutely nothing to do with mistreating any group. All right, Senator, thank you very much for coming. That was Georgia uh, State Senator Josh McCoon, who author of the Religious Rights Bill for the state, as he talked with CNN's Chris Cuomo, Cuomo about his fight for the bill. Um, but the problem still remains. If, if we refuse to marry gays, lesbians, transgenders, then, we, then it seems like they have that right Excuse me, has that right to sue us? Those who refuse to will administer us or whether religious group or whatever to we can refuse to marry them because of our of our Christian faith. Now, I've said this many times, and I'm sticking with this. I will not marry couples of the same of the same sex. It is against my Christian faith to do so. Pastor stands on this as well. He will, he will not, absolutely will not participate in that. Now, I want to see how many. I want to. Uh, I'm just wondering how many other Christian ministers are going to stand on this. I'm just wondering, are they going to stand on this, or are they going to? go with the majority, put their heads under their tails, or under the rock, and run. That's the thing I'm waiting on to see. But this guy you listen to now will not do such thing. Sorry, that's just what I Believe. It's now a doggone thing to do about it. Especially when you're against it. And I'm totally, I am, again, totally against it uh, because of what I believe. I believe in the sanctity of marriage between a man and a woman. Period. Not two men, not two women. Not someone who looks like a woman, but was 
a man who is who was a man and now is a woman or a woman who is now a man or how they, you know, how they how they do transgender. I was what I believe it was last Sunday and I was on I was talking to uh they were talking about this uh, radio show um down in South Florida. And they had they had the transgender who I knew who who I actually knew and who I met while I was down there. And I simply said I simply said that the same sex marriage is like slapping God in the face. That's what I said. And I'm not taking it and I'm I'm not gonna I'm I'm not apologizing for it. I will not apologize for that statement. The 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 host thought I was harsh, but it's the truth. That's how I look at it. They want, they, and they justify this, this certain quote-unquote right to marry. Well, and they, they, they think the same thing, the right to marry is almost like um, the civil rights. It is totally different. How can you legislate a behavior? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't get it. I really don't get it. How can you legislate a, a behavior? Uh, um, I've talked with a former a young man Boston, who, who was who was gay and he contacted. He's living with AIDS, but he's doing real well. Um, we agreed on this. This was some some years ago. When we talked about this, and oh, and asked that same question: How can you legislate a behavior? I don't see it. I honest with you, I don't get it. I really don't get it. Somebody explained to me explained this to me like a seven year old. I don't get it. And it's also it is I feel like it is violating my Christian rights. It is violating my Christian rights. You're listening to the best of Nation Talk on Talk You and Jam Radio. Wow, yeah, since the storm, it's been crazy busy for us. We got all kinds of office desks coming in. Uh, here's a, there's a fancy one right here. 
twist in a leg, but that's all right. Whatever. Washers and dryers from a laundromat. Oh, wow, check this out. Another deep fryer. And I'm not sure what this doohickey is. Yeah, most businesses weren't ready for a storm like that, you know. But our work's really piling up here at Roberts and Sons Salvage. What will become of your business after a disaster? Nearly two-thirds of businesses aren't prepared for an emergency. And 40% of businesses that experience a disaster never recover. Make an emergency plan now before it's too late. For a free online tool that helps you develop an emergency plan to keep your business up and running should disaster strike, visit ready.gov forward slash business. Brought to you by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, the American Red Cross, and the Ad Council. Citizens of America, this is a message from FeedThePig.org. Americans spent more money than they earned in 2005. This is the first negative savings rate in the U.S. since the Great Depression. America, we must start feeding the pig. On the 1st and the 15th, we must pay ourselves before we pay anyone or anything. We must make a budget. Even consider cutting up a credit card. Log on to feedthepig.org today. Find the benefits of saving for every stage of life. Brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Yet Council. Dan, last week I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Um, how about a flight? When a friend tells you they've been diagnosed with a mental illness, it can be a little awkward. But what's even more awkward is if you're not there for her, she'll be less likely to recover. Dan, last week I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Girl, I am here for you. Mental illness. What a difference a friend makes. To learn more, go to whatadifference.org. This message is brought to you by the Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Now, views and opinions of Nation Club are not necessarily views of talk shoes, generating protection, Senate.com, and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Trangian. July and I believe August, especially June, July, May through July, there's um, a lot of people get married during that time. Now, the face of marriage has changed completely now. That's this gay marriage thing. And again, I'm, I'm, I am not for it. And I still feel like it is 
violating my 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 uh, my Christian right. Oh, yeah. That's how I feel about it. And that's just how that's just how I look at things. From that um, that perspective. Okay. So clear for you now the rise of the religious of the religious right. Pretty good, um, pretty good documentary. Please read it a little bit. It's pretty good. Yeah, I then back talk show host. Yeah, something to say about this as well. Jesus of Nazareth passes by. There may never be another night like tonight. Tonight may be the last time that Jesus will ever pass you away again. Christian crusades are nothing new in America. Since the country was founded, the evangelical movement which George W. Bush identifies with has launched recurrent crusades to renew and reform American life. They had always hoped to do so by converting individuals to Christ, not by directly political means. In the mid-20th century, a new religious revival began to surge. It was led by the Reverend Billy Graham. Oh, if we could only come to the place of all-out commitment, we could turn the world upside down and start a counter-revolution, a spiritual revolution with love instead of hate and prejudice, following the Christian flag, until Christ is known around the world. More than 40 years ago in uh, my college training for the ministry, I was instructed repeatedly, religion and politics do not mix. Uh, the premise, I suppose, theologically was that uh, ideally, if we meet the spiritual needs of society, we automatically, as a side benefit, cure the political and social ills. Idealistically, that's, uh, that's a correct premise. But in reality, it doesn't work out that way. I don't think that we are full Americans if we're not concerned about our nation, as well as our politics, as well as our faith. Now, the communist teaches that the individual is not important. The communist teaches that man is an individual is not important at all, that even private property is not important, that all of it belongs to the state, that we should live for the state. Jesus taught the opposite. He taught the value of private property. And he taught the value of the dignity of the individual and the importance of every individual soul. It wasn't the only social change angering evangelicals. In your travels across the country, have you noticed a lot of resentment to the Supreme Court decision banning prayer and Bible reading in schools? Oh, yes. I think there's a tremendous resentment, and I think that if a vote were taken in the United States, it would go 80%. Uh, it would be overwhelming to have prayer and Bible reading in the schools. I think with certain safeguards, uh, because all groups must be protected. But I think that our way of life was built on the Judeo-Christian concept. And I think that uh, this is a nation under God. That really uh, 
touch my button because I felt we were stifling free speech and that the government, contrary to the wishes of the founders who wanted uh, neutrality uh, as the policy of the government toward religion, in fact, uh, the government was becoming hostile, in my opinion, towards religion. Is moral responsibility out of style? Believing that traditional values were now under siege, evangelicals looked for a presidential candidate they could actively support. I say it is time to put conscience back in government. When I first got started in politics uh, in the upsurge for Goldwater in the late 50s and early 60s, the traditional values activists, who used to be traditional values believers but were not activists before, made the determination as to which party they were going to affiliate with. And it was clear that the Republican Party was the party that was most hospitable to them, and there were people like me out there working to recruit them. Why do we see wave after wave of crime in our streets and in our homes? Why do we see riots and disorder in our cities, a breakdown of the morals of our young people? My fellow Americans, is this the time for our federal government to ban Almighty God from our schoolrooms? President Johnson's absolute margin is going to be a record, however... Goldwater's loss intensified evangelical sense that they had lost control of their country. And we've taken God out of our schools and put all of this in. The Bible says, whatsoever we sow, we're going to reap. And so we are reaping what we've been sowing. And I think America is in for the judgment of God unless we turn around and change our way of living. So we pray, O oh God, as we enter a new era, that we as a nation may experience a moral and spiritual restoration. O oh God, we consecrate Richard Milhouse Nixon For the first the time in a decade, evangelicals helped elect a president they thought would represent their values. And for the first time, a major evangelical leader allied himself openly with a sitting president. Theirs was a public friendship. When thousands of Americans took to the streets to protest Nixon's Vietnam policies, Nixon demanded help from his evangelical supporters. That violent few are not the majority of young Americans, and they are not going to be the leaders of the future. It's time for the great silent majority to stand up and be counted. I saw him on television at the Knoxville, Tennessee campaign. This was no big deal today. But it was a big deal then, and, and when I saw him there, it, it was obvious to me he's not attending Billy's crusade to hear Billy preach. He's there because Billy invited him there, and, and uh, anybody with a, any amount of, uh, of moxie was aware this is tacit endorsement. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. Billy 
Graham, when he invited me to come here, said that this was to be youth night. He told me that there would be youth from the university, from other parts of the state, representing different points of view. I'm just glad that uh, there seems to be a rather solid majority on one side rather than the other side tonight. I think Billy, if he was sitting here, would be the first to tell you that was a major mistake in his ministry in life. U.S. Senate investigation of the criminal activities surrounding Watergate forced Nixon to resign the presidency. He had to die. Reverend Billy Graham found the evidence against Nixon profoundly disturbing and deplored the moral tone implied in the Nixon papers. There developed in Watergate, in our audience uh, and in the nation, a, a very serious distrust of government. I don't think it's been restored yet. We, we don't have the uh, bright, shiny-eyed idealism and patriotism there once was. There's a cynicism that is set in about government, and I think that it came out of that period. We've lost a great deal of confidence in some of our institutions. There's been a moral permissiveness that has frightened millions of people. Some deeper national yearning in the country, a turning towards spirituality, a yearning for morality. And now in the realm of politics, it has come into discussion. Americans want more than anything else this year in their president the spiritual quality. The most important thing in my life is Jesus Christ. He was highly regarded in, by the evangelicals uh, in, in those early days. And I formed a very close, intimate, personal relationship with God through Christ that has given me a great deal of, uh, of peace, equanimity, the ability to accept uh, difficulties without uh, unnecessarily being disturbed. Most of the reporters who were with him at the time had no idea what he was talking about. It caught the mainstream press by total surprise. That born again business. Uh, what is it? What was this kind of thing? It smacked of a kind of backwoodsy southern tradition. Uh, it was suspect. So we wouldn't see a cabinet composed exclusively of Baptists. <laughs> no, as a matter of fact, I, I don't know how many Baptists we have on on my immediate staff. But the mainstream press in this country didn't really know what an evangelical was. The Washington Post wrote. Uh, that you have to understand that, that, that we don't know much about this sort of thing because we don't know any of these people. Well, what does she mean? Are they from another planet? Uh, do they not have telephones? Are they unable to read? We have checked on the religious meaning of, meaning of Carter's profound experience. It is described by other Baptists as a common experience, not something out of the ordinary. Well, millions of Americans just guffawed at this. It would be like saying we have considered uh, the state of African Americans and we have determined that they are human beings, or that we have studied the history of women and we've decided that they're equal to men. Uh, it, it is amazing to hear something like this from an educated person. In the eyes of a lot of reporters, look, there's no way on this earth I would ever go to church every Sunday unless 
that furthered my career or my prospects or whatever. Jimmy Carter is going to church every Sunday. It must be some cynical manipulation or exploitation or hypocritical gesture. We have about 20 or 30 more folks to come on in and worship with Newsweek, June the 7th, said about that candidate, his allusions to his personal relationship with Jesus Christ are considered bad form. Brother, if there's anything we need, whether it's bad form or good politics, is a man who is more proud of his faith in Christ than any political aspirations he might have. certainly be impossible for me to call that man's name, but his initials are the same as our Lord's. The election of Carter allowed evangelicals to exalt their Christianity in every arena of modern American life. I remember Jimmy Carter coming out as an evangelical born-again Baptist and remember this great spirit of cheering that went up on first hearing all across the evangelical world. And then they began to find out that his politics were more liberal, and then they got confused. I believe that the theologically conservative Christians were the largest tract of virgin timber on the political landscape. And there was enormous potential for activism because there was all sorts of motivation for activism, but many of these people felt that it was not appropriate. I had long advocated the outreach to the evangelical community. I come from a half-Catholic, half-Protestant family. And as a result, uh, I understood the similarities between the two. Many people looked for the differences at the time, but I saw the similarities. And it made no sense to me that people who had the same values were voting in opposite directions. And I began to think of what could you do it is not a Baptist issue. Abortion is not a Roman Catholic issue. It is a moral issue. It is a theological issue. It is a human rights issue, an issue that concerns the human rights of unborn babies who, by the hundreds of thousands, are being murdered. In the latter uh, 1970s, a uh, decision was made to target uh, a prominent skilled religious communicator to see if he would start moving people into political participation. That is when we began talking to various persons about forming some kind of entity. I convened a meeting here in Lynchburg back in those days. I'm going to guess it was uh, oh, 1979, probably early 79, in which I invited many of my friends in Washington who, who have been, with whom I've been talking about this thing, it was in the course of that conversation in Lynchburg where Paul Weirich made the famous statement to Dr. Falwell, I believe there is a moral majority out there um, ready to be organized. So they see that uh, what they're battling uh, is uh, uh, the same thing and they need to be unified. Falwell stopped me and he said, uh, go back to what you said earlier. Well, I misinterpreted him and I started to say something. Else. No, 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 no. He said, you started out by saying out there, there is something. What did you call that? And I had to think of, uh, of what I said. And finally I said, oh, I said there was a moral majority. And he said, 
legislate for potential. And the more that you give judges to work with, the better. You could... Moral Majority is not a religious organization. If it were, we could not get 72,000 pastors, which includes uh, Jews, Protestants, Catholics, Mormons, fundamentalists, etc., together without a blood battle. Uh, the fact is that uh, it's political. It's a very political organization, and one's membership is based upon citizenship in this country and a commitment to a pro-life, pro-traditional family, pro-moral, and pro-American uh, pro -American, uh, position. The Supreme Court has drawn a line the right of a woman to have control over her own body. I support the ruling and will enforce it to the best of my ability. I react. I react to the burning of the American flag. I react to the assassination attempt on the Constitution of the United States. I react to irresponsible voting in Congress, to the blatant compromise with communism, to prayer removed from our schools. Brother, I'm ready to do something about it. Amen and amen. We all made a commitment to God that, that day for the first time in our lives, we were going to get involved in the political process and do everything we could to wake up the Christian. So I stood there and I prayed this prayer. Uh, I said, oh, God, we have got to get this man out of the White House and get someone in here who will be aggressive about bringing back traditional moral values. I happen to believe from all the study that I have been able to do, all the information I've been able to get, but when you interrupt a pregnancy, you are taking a human life. Now, that puts that human life within the protection of the Constitution, the guarantee of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In 1980, as evangelicals had thought four years before with Carter, a presidential candidate appeared to champion the evangelical cause. I was asked once what book I would choose if I were shipwrecked on an island and could have only one book for the rest of my life. I replied that I knew of only one book that could be read and reread and continue to be a challenge, the Bible. All the complex and horrendous questions confronting us at home and worldwide have their answer in that single book. Reagan knew when he'd strike chords uh, in groups of people. He would talk about prayer in schools and uh, the values of uh, developing a welfare system which kept families together and uh, and uh, and reminding people that uh, this was one nation under God. In behalf of more than 30 million evangelical Christians in America, we welcome you to this one of the greatest assemblies in the 20th century, Governor Ronald Reagan. Someone said the, the leadership of that meeting represented between 50 and 60 million potential voters who were easy to register or registered. I mean, it was, it had the potential. They were there. I uh, suggested to Mr. Reagan that, that because it was a bipartisan, that it would be in his best interest, since we could not and would not endorse him as a body, 
But it would probably be wise if his opening comment would be, I know, I know this, this is nonpartisan, nonpartisan so you can't so endorse me. You can't endorse me, but I want you to know I endorse you. I only brought that up because I want you to know that I endorse you and what you are doing. And that's headlined everywhere. I, you can't endorse me, I endorse you. Well, you can imagine what that did for caring, traditional, value people. Thank you very much. We have a threefold primary responsibility. Number one, get people saved. Number two, get them baptized. Number three, get them registered to vote. Only 55% of evangelicals were registered to vote at that time. The uh, national mean at the time was 72%. So we had a lot to do there. We had to learn the laws and how we could and where we could register. So we began registration efforts in church lobbies, on you know, church lawns, whatever the ticket state law was. Paul, how important is it for Christians to register to Well, outside of attaining eternal salvation, I can't think of anything that's more important right now.
How much consideration are you going to give to the advice of these new conservative organizations and the moral majority and uh, people like the Reverend Jerry Falwell? I am going to be open to these people. I, you are president of all the people, and I am going to want to uh, seek advice where I think that I can uh, can get advice from those who are familiar with a particular problem. I'm not going to separate myself from the people who elected us and, and sent us there. There was only one priority in the first term, and that was the economy. And I would say to all these department heads, states, whether it's Elizabeth Dole, uh, Kenny Duberstein, whoever it was, unless you can show me how this thing plays to the economic recovery issue, I don't want to see it on my desk. So if you have a request from some religious organization to come in and talk to the president, and uh, that is one of the photo ops of the day. What's that got to do with turning the economy around, getting more jobs to the American people? From Washington, D.C., the Old Time Gospel Hour presents this special program with Jerry Falwell and President Ronald Reagan. Now, here is Jerry Falwell. This is the day Christians have longed and prayed for for a very, very long time. Today, our president is proposing a voluntary prayer amendment to the Constitution, which would once again allow the children of America to pray in the schoolrooms. I remember the first time I went to the White House with Jerry Falwell and ate at the mess hall. And Jerry Falwell and myself and two of the key people in the president's uh, inner circle eating lunch at this table discussing issues. I'm thinking, wow. I am sitting here at the White House, savoring the fruits of their labor, rejoicing in their proximity to power. Evangelicals were about to get a hard lesson in political reality. In the U.S. Senate tonight, the vote is in on a constitutional amendment that would allow prayer said out loud in public schools. President Reagan was pushing hard for this amendment, but it was defeated, falling well short of the two-thirds vote needed for passage. Yes, there was an effort, and I believe the president was committed but arguments were made to him that other things were more important at the time. I know full well that a, an administration that was, was more uh, composed of a greater percentage of traditional values conservatives who had a real enthusiasm about this would have figured out ways to bring it up again and again and change it a little bit and bring it up again. Um, but there there wasn't the will to go through that process more than once. Mr. Lincoln said we may very well self-destruct. You don't have to look too long to see the possibility of it today. After all, if we can just keep getting more of our men to have sex with more men, we won't have to worry about babies being born. And if we can just get more women to get out there in the marketplace and start acting like men, and if we can just get other women to look at motherhood as though it is some dread terminal illness, if we can just get society so drunk and so drugged, if ever anybody does get pregnant, then we can abort the baby. That's where we are. The inspiration for the Rally for Life was President Ronald Reagan's nomination of Arizona Judge Sandra O'Connor to the Supreme Court. The religious right is attacking her legislative record as pro-abortion. Right to life people oppose her, sir, and we just wonder if uh, all of those questions the Attorney General is prepared to answer. So, Mr. President, you have a firm position on that. Can you give us yes. your feelings about her position? I am completely satisfied. On her right to life position? Yes. 
I was uh, in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, with my family on vacation when a, uh, the phone rang in the uh, condo that we had uh, leased for that week. It was Ronald Reagan. And he said, Jerry, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to nominate Sandra Day O'Connor to the Supreme Court. Uh, we've done a pretty good background study. We feel very strongly that she does represent the views and values that I campaigned on and became president on. And I would simply ask you if you would uh, give us a little time to develop that through the hearings and so forth before taking a position. And I agreed to that and it did, in fact, uh, keep quiet. The timing. We're going to take a very short break and come right back. This is Station Talk. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network. Minister Kennedy Jenkins. The views of the nation talk are not necessarily the views. I'll talk to you. Jam Radio Protection Center.com and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk. And the appointment of Judge O'Connor was rushed up by a day or two in order to head off right-wing opposition to her. The president's advisors have been focusing on her for more than a month. But after a news report last week made that public, Right to Life and other far-right conservative groups began to attack her pro-abortion voting record in the Arizona State Senate. And uh, once uh, she was uh, examined, became one of her supporters, and still am. One of the realities of politics is you can choose, and I'll use a biblical paradigm, you can choose either to be an advisor or a prophet. If you choose to be a prophet, then you don't have a lot of influence on the political reality. But you are always free to speak what you perceive to be the truth for the current historical moment. Or you can be an advisor with a sense of truth, a sense of value, but your objective simply to influence the process. And I think the moral majority move from a prophetic role into more of an advisor role and lost some of its ability to speak against even the administration it was for. In your conversations with the president, did he specifically ask you not to take a stand on the O'Connor nomination until after the Senate hearings? Uh, as I recall the conversation, he gave me all the information he did have on Judge O'Connor. Well, at that time, it was very limited. I gave to him what had come to me, also very limited. And uh, uh, he, uh, and in the process of the conversation, I don't know if he asked me or if I said, well, the only commitment I can make is, and it's a fair one, I will wait till all the, the facts are in and the hearings are concluded before then reaching a conclusion. And uh, I think we had a very charitable phone call on the subject. I think the moral majority chose clear that the advisor role, which is the danger of politics, that once they invite you up to the big house, then uh, you've got to go by the rules of the big house. Genius talk show host Glenn Beck is going to explain to us what the case really should be with Indiana's new anti-gay law. Let's watch. You don't have a right to discriminate against gay people. Sell them a cupcake. Sell them flowers. Sell them a cake. When they ask you, will you make the flowers for my wedding and your religious, this is, this is really 
This is the key here. You actually have to be religious. You can't just be something like, I am gay, so I'm not going to do it. Now, tell me a little about your religion, because this is not a, this is not a right to discriminate. This is a right that you have to protect your sensibility. You're, you're a conscientious objector. And, and, and that's exactly right, because we used to noodle it out individually yes. On, yes. on those grounds. Correct. For instance, I can't say, if I'm drafted, I can't say, hey, uh, uh, I can't go because uh, I'm a conscientious objector. Are you a Quaker? Nope. Get your ass in a uniform and get on the battlefield. If I'm a Quaker, yes, then, then, I, have case. then I have a case. Yes. So if I if, so if I go to what was it Presbyterian USA the one that is right, the one that was in the news recently yeah. for uh, approving gay marriage gay marriage okay so if I go to that church I can't say uh, well I'm a member of the Presbyterian USA church so I really can't make your wedding cake sorry dude you're making the wedding cake because what you say you belong to this church they happen to agree with it your religious sensibility. Show me about how you're living your life in your church. If you're living your if you're living your faith, then I can't say anything about it because it's your religious right. And, and gay people have to get over it. And anybody else who might be bigoted and you own a bakery, I don't want to sell anybody the cookies. Well, dude, you have to. And that's just the way it is. You need to get over it. And we can all live together in peace and harmony. I love how he thinks he's being moderate there. Like he thinks he's being more liberal and more reasonable. I'm not with the hardliners who say, fuck gay people and I'm not religious. You can only say, fuck gay people if you're religious. I'm so reasonable. Look at me. No, Glenn. No, that's not reasonable. That makes no sense. See, this is the amazing thing. As they accuse gay people of asking for special treatment under the law, who's really getting the special treatment under the law? Religion, especially Christianity. I mean, the special treatment for religion, really when it boils down to it, it's unconstitutional because it's violating equal protection under the law. So think about it in this context. We've spoken about this before, but I think it illustrates it well. I remember when I was working at a car dealership, somebody uh, went to the boss and said, uh, because of my religion, I can't work Saturdays. Now, Saturdays in the car business, for those of you who know anything about it, that's like your main day. Like, that's the day you always work Saturdays. You usually get off a Sunday and one of the other days during the week. It varies depending on who you're talking about. People pick different days. But pretty much everybody works Saturday. But somebody said, no, because of my religion, I can't work Saturday. The, the dealership had to say, okay, we have to abide by it or else we're doing religious discrimination. So you can you can take off. Now, meanwhile, if I went up to the bosses and I said, all right, look, I'm going to level with you guys. Honestly, uh, I'm not a religious person, but I have a deeply held secular belief that I need to rest uh, three days a week. So, and that really is a deeply held belief. You guys know I've spoken about it before. I believe in a a four-day work week as the norm. It's a little different for me now because I'm doing what I love, so I feel like I could work more at it. But when you're doing something you don't like, I think everybody should only have to work four days a week if it's something that they really don't like. So, And that's a deeply held belief, right? But it's held on secular ground. So if I said to them, look, I need that day to rest, what I do on that day is I go and get a massage, I go sit in a sauna, 
uh, I, I watch some movies, I uh, have a few drinks, and I just, I, I, woosah, I let it all out. You know what their response will be? <laughs> That's hilarious. We'll see you on Saturday, Kyle. So wait, do you not realize how obvious it is that there's a violation of equal protection under the law? So you get special treatment if you just say the magic word, religion. It's my religion. But if, if you're honest and you say, look, it's a secular belief, but I really believe this, then no. Nope. Can't have it. Or how about, here's another example. Who do you think is more philosophically opposed to war? Me or some random evangelical Christian in the middle of Arkansas, right? But if they were to say, well, uh, there's, I have a religious objection to war, so therefore, uh, you know, about half of my tax money, I'm not going to pay it because I don't want my, I don't want to pay for war. It violates my religion. There was a case like that recently. It actually advanced in the courts. It eventually lost, but it advanced in the courts. They were like, hmm, interesting point. Maybe that does make sense. Yes, let this advance. If somebody like myself, who has a deeply held philosophical belief against offensive wars, which we do all the time, if I say I don't want to pay half my taxes because of war, what will the response be from day one? taxes and shut the fuck up. So if you're secular and you have a deeply held belief, it's irrelevant. It doesn't count. Shut the fuck up. But if you just say the magic word religion, oh, now it's a serious, now it's a serious issue. We'll take you seriously. You said the magic word religion, so you've got special rights under law. So everything they say about gay people, all oh, the gay people, they're, they want homosexual supremacy, as Brian Fisher said earlier. They want special rights. No, no, no. You know who wants the special rights? You do. The Christians do. That's who wants special rights. And, of course, the main point here is, if you're going to start going down that road, Glenn, why stop there? Like, he makes it seem like it's this brilliant idea that he just came up with. That, no, 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 if you're really religious, then it's okay to discriminate against gay people. Well, number one, it's not, you didn't just come up with that. A lot of people believe that. Number two, why stop there? If you truly believe that the principle at work here is that you sincerely believe it from a religious perspective, then you should be allowed to not serve black people if you're religious and you believe the parts of the Bible that advocate slavery, that advocate a ban on interracial marriage, and that advocate other racist ideas. And it's in there. We've quoted them before to you. It's in there. So if you have a sincerely held religious belief that blacks are inferior and they need to know their goddamn place and I'm going to segregate my restaurant, why shouldn't you be allowed to do this? Here's a really interesting question. Where did the religious right wing in the United States come from. Now, until today, I have to admit, I never really thought about it. I never thought about its roots because I just kind of assumed that there was always, you know, religious right-wing people that were really conservative that were vocal. And I just assumed that it was an organic thing from the beginning of the country. I mean, the U.S. has never had a shortage of religious people, and they've never had a shortage of conservative people. So I figured they had just existed from the beginning. Well, I'm kind of wrong about that, because while they did exist, they weren't always organized or mobilized and really active. But the story behind how they got that way is unreal. Quote, this is from Crooks and Liars, the modern religious right formed practically overnight as a rapid response to the Supreme Court's landmark ruling in Roe v. Wade. Or at least, that's how the fake story goes. 
the reality, according to a guy named Randall Balmer, who's a Dartmouth professor, um, and he wrote this originally in Political Magazine, he says the religious right, who like to call themselves the moral majority at the time, actually organized around, quote, fighting to protect Christian schools from being desegregated.
Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're feeding America. When I had the asthma attack, I felt scared. Prevent your child's next asthma attack. Call 1-866-NO-ATTACKS. Visit www.noattacks.org or call your doctor. Because even one attack is one too many. Brought to you by the EPA and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network. Minister Kennedy Jenkins. The views and opinions of nation talk are not necessarily the views of talk to Jam Radio Productions. Sonahead.com and its sponsor. Do anything that's personal to them. 
with the national standard. With the Peruta case out of the California-based Ninth Circuit that we talked about just a couple weeks ago, with the Peruta case, there is now a circuit split on whether the Second Amendment extends outside your home. It's a split with the Second Circuit out of New York. Now that that is the case, the Supreme Court may well take that case up, and if so, I believe we could be looking at a significant victory for the Second Amendment. If, on the flip side, the, the, there were not four justices to take this case, because once they started discussing it, a couple of the more moderate justices, perhaps like Justice Kennedy or Chief Justice Roberts maybe even, started saying things expressing some doubts about extending Second Amendment protections, then maybe some of the more conservative justices like Antonin Scalia would have gotten concerned about pressing forward. He'd rather have no president than a bad president. And that's why they didn't vote for it. We do not know which of those two are the case. We will not find out until they decide the next Second Amendment case. The court never leaks its secrets. We have no idea what was said behind closed doors. But I think it's one of those two scenarios. Either way, we need to get a case up soon. All right. Uh, and, and to that end, Ken, um, we don't know what's going to happen with Peruta. The sheriff is not going to appeal this decision on bond. That would leave it uh, that the Attorney General Kamala Harris uh, intervenes in the case, which she has so far declined to do, or a judge on the Ninth Circuit side came off review, which uh, is, is not Everybody wants to preserve the right of uh, uh, people that want to use guns for sport, hunting, or target practice to have the right to do so. But that doesn't mean you have an assault weapon. That doesn't mean you have a rifle that's advertised as able to bring down a commercial airliner at a mile and a half or bullets that are designed to... It would not be normal for a judge to uh, for a judge to try and press for en banc if no one was was pressing for it. If I were the California AG, uh, frankly, if I were her, I would be trying to. Uh, to I, I would petition for en banc. It's surprising that the local officials in San Diego is not because right now if you live in one of the states of the Ninth Circuit. That's not just California, but that's all the way from Arizona to Hawaii to Alaska to Montana. It, it, it's, it is. Uh, a very large circuit, in fact, it should be split to three circuits if you look at actually what the historical standards are. But setting that aside, right now, the second, the Ninth Circuit, which is the most liberal federal appeals court, has the single broadest and most conservative reading of the Second Amendment. Right now, that is the law of the land in all of those states. And it is a court that because it is so left of center in its tilt, we just happen to get two solid conservatives on the three-judge panel that heard this case. If they were to take it on bond, frankly, they would have a good chance of, uh, the left would have a good chance of winning on bond. Of course, then it ping-pongs back to us, and we try then to take it to the U.S. Supreme Court. But still, right now, they are looking at a, at a tremendous loss if you're in one of the states of the Ninth Circuit. And I would think that the California AG would try to take it on bond, confident that they could switch it in an anti-gun direction. And if you're then just trying to roll the dice of, of hoping the Supreme Court doesn't take it for some reason. Right. Well, I mean, that's the thing. You know, there's, there's, it's, there's a lot of chess being played here. Uh, Absolutely. Again, and, uh, you know, if the uh, Attorney General Kamala Harris decides not to get involved, as you say, that means the Ninth Circuit, which would include California, the state of Hawaii, is 
be the law, which means that you have to have some form of fashion that allows you to carry a firearm in self-defense. Exactly right. And if you're on the left, I mean, it is quite possible, Cam, that if the U.S. Supreme Court were to take up this issue, whether it's through Peruta or, or some other, you know, the, the court is not a conservative court. This current court is a moderate. It, it tilts liberal on some issues. It tilts a little conservative on others. It's pretty much in the middle right now. There is a good chance that if they were to put their own Supreme Court-level decision on this, that it would be significantly more narrow than what the Ninth Circuit handed down in, in its opinion by Judge Jeremy O'Scanlan. So, I mean, if you're anti-gun, uh, you have to figure that, first of all, we, we might be able to make this go entirely anti-gun, but even if it does end up at the, up at the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court's decision could be a whole lot worse from an anti-gun perspective. Uh, it could be a whole lot better, a whole lot worse for gun rights, a whole lot better for gun control than what's currently on the books. So for the life of me, I can't see why they would want to let the, this current opinion, written by a very solid Reagan constitutional conservative judge, why they would want to live under that as the supreme law of the land. Yeah, well, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, how long does uh, Kamala Harris judges on the Ninth Circuit have to decide whether or not they're going to try to raise this appeal? Oh, excellent question. That, that's actually determined by circuit rules, and I am licensed in the Ninth Circuit. I'm licensed in, uh, in a number of federal appeals circuits. I, I confess I still have that in front of me. For most, for most courts, it's typically two or three weeks that the losing side has the petition for on bond, and then the losing side also has, either after the panel decision comes down, or after the on bond decision, or after you petition for on bond but that gets denied, whichever of those three things happens last, then you have 90 days to petition the U.S. Supreme Court to take the case if you lost in the lower courts. All right. Well, listen, Ken, thank you very much sir, for coming to the program. It was good talking to you, and I uh, hope you do it again very soon. That's um, Cam Edwards. Uh, he's he talks to Ken Kowalski, video editor of Barrett News. Like more information, you can go to the website at barrett.com-biggovernment. Uh, and like more information on NRA News, go to nranews.com. When I, when I first brought this up, I I wasn't, I, well, let me back up. In the beginning, I was against, I was against it. Against gun rights. And the more I thought about it, I said, well, and the older I got, the more I thought about it. I'm for it. I'm absolutely for it. Um, as long as that person is responsible for the use of a gun or any type of gun, do it right and do it legally, it's okay. I'm not saying to go out, hey, go out and get your gun. Oh, let's go get a good one. You know, nothing like that. Um, I'm not aggravate. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, 
intervention or whatever it was etched in stone like Moses in the tablets. And, and, and because what they thought was right in 1776 to 1789, uh, that, was, uh, that is the way we have to live today in the 21st century. I mean, we wouldn't, we wouldn't go to a doctor and have, have them put leeches on us to suck the blood out of us because that would cure us. That's what they did, you know, 150 years ago. We, we, kind, of, we kind of evolved. Play at Jack in the Box, proving once again that America's gun laws are worthless and sad, and that its dining options aren't much better. <laughs> Now, the other thing that the open carry movement is proving is something I've believed for a long time, that no matter how crazy gun culture gets in America, never think it can't get crazier. I mean, what possible reason could a person have for bringing a semi-automatic weapon into Home Depot? You're there to buy a toilet seat. <laughs> I doubt you will meet armed resistance. <laughs> You know, guns are legal. Okay, we get it. It doesn't mean you have to scare the bejesus out of everybody. <laughs> Chill out, Josie Wales. This isn't the Wild West anymore. Clint Eastwood is directing Jersey Boys now. <laughs> I mean, look, look at this guy at Chipotle. Now, you might not be able to see him because he's wearing a camouflage hat. <laughs> But trust me, there is a man standing there. And I'm sure he would say that he's just exercising his rights, and by the looks of him, that's the only thing he's exercising. <laughs> but what does he or any of these patriots imagine is going through the minds of sane people when they see this? <laughs> oh, oh, my, it looks like Vladimir Putin and Annex Chipotle. I, I, that's, that's, that's alarming. When eight nitwits walked into Chili's last month, armed to the teeth, or at least to where their teeth would be if they had any, <laughs> a concerned mother asked, what are you doing here? <clears throat> to which one of them said, representing our Second Amendment rights. We lose them if we don't use them. Well, no, Cletus, actually. <laughs> you don't. They're constitutional rights. You can't lose them. Perhaps you're thinking of frequent flyer miles. <laughs> And, you know, <laughs> that, that's the thing about gun culture. There, there's not a lot of culture. It's, it's mostly about the guns. And, and the problem isn't just that they're so legal in America. It's that they're so beloved. Guns aren't just a tool of last resort. They're awesome. That's why people stroke them, name them, take pictures of them. You guys aren't just firearms. You're amosexual. <laughs> and before you try and deny that you have some sort of unnatural romantic relationship with your gun, <laughs> consider this. You're taking it out to dinner. <laughs> because it completes you. <laughs> Get a room. You know, I love Tiffany lamps, but if I couldn't bear to leave the house without carrying one, they would lock me up. 
I favor marijuana rights, but I don't go to the Olive Garden and blow bong hits into people's faces. <laughs> Anymore. <laughs> Here's a crazy idea. Try going out without your gun. I know there may be some separation anxiety, but just think how exciting it'll be when you get home and there she is. <laughs> Oiled up and just wearing a holster. <laughs> now, the silver lining in all this is that these heavily armed flash mobs that have been alarming people in restaurants lately have managed to do what thousands of progressive legislators could not. They got guns. Band. Yeah, one by one, all these restaurants. All these restaurants said, no, sorry, you can no longer take a gun into Chipotle or Chili's or Applebee's or Wendy's or Jack in the Box. From now on, if you want to die in one of these places, you're going to have to do it the old-fashioned way by eating their food. All right. That, <sighs> that was Bill Morris with, um, Something show real time with Bill Miles, which is which is which is on uh, yeah HBO. That was aired uh, last year, June of last year. Uh, now, here's the president's take on it: the rights and responsibility of the Second Amendment. years in the United States, the rights and responsibilities involving gun ownership in the Second Amendment have become ever-present in the public eye. What was once taken as a constitutional right is now being questioned. The right in question is the Second Amendment. Many people believe they know what it means, but do they really? The Second Amendment states, a well-regulated militia is necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be Currently, this can be interpreted to mean that people have the right to not only bear arms, but own increasingly dangerous guns. However, was this the true intent of our forefathers to form the Second Amendment?
first court case to set a long precedent was the United States versus Crookshank. In this particular case, it came as a result in a follow-up to the Colfax Massacre, in which over 100 African Americans were killed by Democrats in Louisiana. Several important rulings came from this case, most important of which was that the Constitution did not allow private citizens to own guns, and that the Second Amendment had no other effect than to restrict the power of the national government. This was mainly to not allow blacks to own guns, but the Supreme Court set the precedent all the same. In the 1939 court case of United States versus Miller involving an unregistered sawed-off shotgun being transported across the state line, the Supreme Court ruled that the type of gun does not determine whether or not a person can own it. It also ruled that Miller had not been outside of the Second Amendment. This was the initial step towards best regulation of the types of guns people could own in America. These seemingly contradictory cases have been followed by a plethora of others. The Supreme Court slowly started ruling in favor of an interpretation of the Second Amendment in which people had the right to own arms for self-defense. Furthermore, the passing of the 14th Amendment in 1868 stated, No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. This meant that states no longer had the authority to stop citizens Cases like Poe v. Holman, 1961, Adams v. Williams, 1972, U.S. v. Lopez, 1995, all helped solidify the people's right to own guns and the state not being able to take them away. The recent ruling of the Second Amendment in the case of the District of Columbia v. Heller, 2008, ruled that the District of Columbia cannot ban handguns or require firearms to be disassembled. Even with the firm view of the Supreme Court that this increasing gun violence, Today, conflicting views on the Second Amendment have shifted from just having the right to own guns to how they affect society. While many people believe that increasing gun control will have no effect on the violence and will only violate our civil rights under the Second Amendment, others believe that increasing gun control will decrease violence in America and might possibly put an end to needless massacres. Some of the most infamous of these massacres include Columbine High School, April 20th, 1999, 13 dead. Virginia Tech, April 16th, 2007, 32 dead. Aurora Movie Theater, July 20th, 2012, 12 dead. Sandy Hook Elementary, December 14, 2012, 27 dead. As a country, we have been through this too many times. Whether it's an elementary school in Newton or a shopping mall in Oregon or a temple in Wisconsin or a movie theater in Aurora or a street corner in Chicago, these neighborhoods are our neighborhoods and these children are our children. We're going to have to come together and take meaningful action to prevent more tragedies like this, regardless of the politics. According to the Washington Post, 
and shown by this graph, fault death rates in America are higher than any other country, even though the death rate has been decreasing over the last 30 years. Other statistics show 30,000 people are killed each year by firearms in the U.S. In addition, for every gun fired in self-defense, seven guns are used in criminal assault and four in unintentional shooting. This graph shows states with stricter gun control laws have fewer gun-related deaths. On the other hand, gun control has been statistically less popular in the past five years, with 54% of Americans preferring it to be less strict or kept as now in 2010. This supports the views of the NRA, an organization that advocates the right to own gun. Of course, the priority of the NRA is protecting and uh, promoting uh, Second Amendment rights, and also in, uh, in uh, working very hard to get, the, uh, to get this administration and get this government to concentrate on the real problems. The NRA has been successful uh, in this battle because they they represent the overwhelming majority of people, and this is what the people in this country want. They believe in individual civil rights. They believe in individual freedoms, and we all know that uh, none of these regulatory laws, confiscatory laws, would have any effect on crime. I mean, that was proven with the uh, with the Brady uh, uh, gun ban for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And, and, and even even President Obama and Vice President Biden have said none of these laws would have prevented Sandy. But we just want to pass them just for a good measure. Over the past 250 years, the rights and responsibilities of the Second Amendment and gun ownership have grown and developed. But the question people ask today is, what are those rights and responsibilities now? According to the Supreme Court and the Second Amendment, people still have the right to own guns, but with this right comes increasing responsibility. No matter where people stand, they all agree that these shootings need to be stopped. The Second Amendment has not transcended well into modern times. What was once intended to provide a civilian militia and prevent governmental tyranny has over time become about the right of the American citizens to protect themselves. Is the problem that our right to own guns is affecting our responsibility to protect each other, or is the problem within our society and not related to gun control at all? The answer is not a simple one, and in the end, will depend on which rights and responsibilities best support the nature of our country. Tell if the surfaces in this kitchen are crawling with bacteria that could cause chronic arthritis? Listen. Can't, can you? You can't see it either. Wash surfaces, utensils, and hands frequently with soapy water while preparing food, especially when handling raw meats or eggs. Raw food may contain bacteria that can make you very sick or worse. One in six Americans will get sick from food poisoning this year, and roughly 3,000 will die. But you can keep your family safer by cleaning with soap and water as you go. Learn more about this and other important information. Check your steps at foodsafety.gov. That's foodsafety.gov. 
a public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ag Council. Hey, this is Reba McIntyre, and I wanted to take a moment to talk to you about a serious problem right here in our own backyard. Did you know that there are nearly 16 million kids struggling with hunger in America? That's one out of every five precious children in this country who might not get to eat dinner tonight. But hope is just around the bend because there's enough healthy, nutritious food produced in this country to put a smile on the face of every last hungry kid. And that's when the Feeding America Nationwide Network of Food Banks steps into the picture. They collect surplus food, engaging their communities in solving hunger and giving hope to the hungry kids and their families. But they need your help. So join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank. Find out how you can help at feedingamerica.org. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Dan, last week I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Um, how about a flight? When a friend tells you they've been diagnosed with a mental illness, it can be a little awkward. But what's even more awkward is if you're not there for her, she'll be less likely to recover. Dan, last week I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Girl, I'm here for you. Mental illness and the difference a friend makes. To learn more, go to whatadifference.org. This message is brought to you by the Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. There are a lot of Americans who believe that the Second Amendment to the Constitution is outdated because when the founding fathers were writing it, they couldn't have fathomed how powerful the weapons of modern government would be. And therefore, there's no need for citizens today to be able to keep and bear arms because they have no chance of overthrowing this overarching government. However, if you take this level of thinking and apply it to other provisions of the Constitution, which as a whole was written to prevent overly powerful government, you'll see how ridiculous this is. You know what, guys? Freedom of the press is so outdated. I mean, <laughs> the founding scholars never could have imagined that TV and media would take over, and that only four conglomerated corporations would control all of this thanks to the government. And I mean, the United States is 46 in press freedom now, so what's the point in even bothering? Who cares about freedom of the press? <laughs> Who cares about the Fourth Amendment? It's so outdated. I mean, the founding fathers couldn't have conceived of iPhones and the NSA and the fact that they could tap everyone's phone in the entire world. But they're doing it now, and who really cares about privacy anyway? I mean, what's done is done. And unwarranted searches and seizures in the form of grace? Who cares? I mean, no one could have anticipated how powerful those assault rifles would be, so we should just let them break down our doors whenever they want to come in. They're here to help, remember? Oh, please. Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution is so archaic. I mean, going through Congress to go to war? What would the president do? I mean, even though Vietnam and Iraq and Afghanistan were total disasters that resulted in a complete waste of taxpayer dollars and a waste of life? I mean, who cares? The idea of going through an entire body of a legislature, that is so ridiculous because terrorism, the founding fathers never could have produced that. Now, I know what you're thinking. The Second Amendment is different because guns, but actually, violations of these constitutional provisions alone have resulted in far more innocent deaths than any grand total of mass shooting deaths in this country. The lack of freedom of the press in America has propagandized Americans into begging for and to be desensitized to all the loss of 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.